1: This is the Four Corners Podcast.
0: I'm the luckiest guy in the world, I've said that, to be in Chapel Hill, to be at the University of North Carolina. We win 54-53, to 53, North Carolina did it, North Carolina wins the championship. With 20 seconds left to play, goes back to Michael Jordan, jumper from out on the left, good! on right way to Worthy, Worthy 5, the Tar Heels are going to win the national championship! Weber frontcourt, Carolina with foul, he takes the time! Williams on the drive. Gets it back out to head. Long outside shot. Short rebounded. May, it's over. Carolina has won the national championship. 89-72. And how about them Tar Heels? They are the national champions. I've been the luckiest coach in the world. Pump fake for three. Too strong on the shot. That's it. The Tar Heels are the national dadgum champion. Carolina has been tested and tried and been proven successful through all the years. And the way that we will play will be the Carolina way.
1: My love for North Carolina, I mean, I love this school, I love these fans, no. and I love everything about it, and I would, I would die for this school, I really would. Here are your hosts, Josh Marlowe and Anthony Pagnotta. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Four Corners Podcast. We are powered by Carolina electrical Services. Josh here with you guys this afternoon, getting you ready for Carolina and Duke. The rivalry renews itself this Saturday in Chapel Hill. And as we always like to do when we get to this game is to bring on a top flight guest to, to help talk about the game, talk about the rivalry, look back at what, you know, the best moments and, and all that fun stuff, live in the nostalgia of what is the greatest rivalry we have. In sports, and today we go to a man that has covered the rivalry in depth. He's written two books about it, Blue Blood and Blue Blood Two, where he takes you know takes you behind the scenes and tells you how the rivalry came to be, how it it grew under Coach Smith, uh, grew under you know while Coach K was at Duke, how it transitioned into the Roy Williams era um, and beyond. Um, And this is a man that's been covering and writing about Carolina and ACC basketball for well over 40 years. And so um, I went to Archansky to help get us ready for the latest edition of Carolina and Duke. Without any further ado, here's that conversation with the longtime ACC and college basketball writer, Archansky. We are now joined by the legendary Art Chansky, longtime college hoops writer covering the ACC and, of course, Carolina basketball. And I read many of his books growing up, learning about the history and the tradition of Carolina basketball. Good afternoon, man. How are you doing today?
0: I'm doing great. Looking forward to another big game.
1: Yes, sir. It's, it's, it's going to be a big one on Saturday afternoon or Saturday evening in Chapel Hill when Carolina and Duke, two of the top seven teams in the country, We'll meet on the hardwood. But before we talk about the Duke game, and we'll talk plenty about it, do you want to talk about what's gotten this team to this point to play in this type of game? And look, Carolina enters with a seventeen and four record. They're nine and one in ACC play. They did have their ten game winning streak snapped earlier in the week with a loss at Georgia Tech, but Art, I've, I've got to ask you, as someone that covers the program inside and out, have they exceeded your expectations so far this season?
0: Oh, they absolutely have, uh, but you didn't know coming in because all the parts were so different, and you didn't know how the new parts would affect the old parts. So uh, uh, until, until Tuesday night at uh, Georgia Tech, they were well exceeding my expectations, and I think everybody else's too. They're playing harder. They're playing more together than they were last year. Last year to me was a was a um, was kind of a um, an exception uh, to the rule, even even in Hubert's. first year you know it was kind of lightning in a bottle they had at the end of the year and they and they pulled it out but uh last year they had parts that needed to be replaced to make all the other players better and, and they did that and uh with and i think still think they have a long a long way to go because Cormac ryan's not shooting the ball well and he was one of the big pieces they brought in to improve their outside shooting
1: A big reason, Art, why Carolina is where they are has been the the play of R.J. Davis, who has been absolutely sensational. You know, the the split between him and Caleb Love as Caleb Love transferred out and went to Arizona um, have proven to be beneficial for both parties. When you look at what Davis has done and the numbers he's put up, is it fair to say he's already wrapped up ACC Player of the Year honors?
0: Well, I refer to him. Yeah, I refer to him as ACC Player of the Year in waiting because I think he has. Of course, that could change. That could change over the second half of the season. I remember a couple of years ago when when everybody thought Baycott was going to win it, and, and Alondis Williams won it. Uh, a lot of guys voted early. Uh, voters should really wait until the regular season's over before they vote. But I think RJ's way ahead. At this point, he's having a sensational season, and I think he's benefiting by uh, Caleb Love leaving, and Caleb's having a pretty good season at Arizona. So that was one of the big changes. And then Elliot Cadeau coming in, uh, you know, makes – RJ more of, a, more of a more of a shooting guard, uh, but he does handle the ball uh, as well too. So it's it's a good mix. Um, I'm a little concerned about Amanda Baycott. His game seemed to tail off in the last the last couple of weeks, uh, and I'm not sure why. Uh, but <clears throat> they need him to, to play big Saturday, uh, and the matchup with Filipowski is going to be interesting. To see if baycott goes outside with him uh or they switch it off with somebody else, so a lot of things uh philip <clears throat> and RJ are, are in every statistical category uh in the a c c uh and there's only one other mention uh you know jeremy jeremy roach uh and and flip are are in every category and so is um, Baycott and R.J. and Harrison Ingram is the only other player on both teams that's in any of the ACC statistical leaders. So obviously, it's going to it's going to be how those how the two stars perform and how the other team stops them.
1: You mentioned that you refer to R.J. Davis as the ACC Player of the Year in waiting. His case to be a National Player of the Year has definitely picked up steam in the first month of conference play course, we all saw what Zach Eady did last night for Purdue, and he's the clear favorite to win the award back-to-back years, but how does R.J. put himself in the conversation to be Carolina's first national player of the year since Tyler Hansborough in the late 2000s?
0: Yeah, it's hard for a guard. It's hard for a six-foot guard to win that award. You have to be pretty sensational, and he's been sensational. And the other part of that, Josh, is that your team has to be um, highly ranked, uh that's the same thing kind of with the Heisman Trophy. You have to playing playing with a team that's either a championship team or a highly ranked team. So uh Carolina can help Davis and Davis can help Carolina in that regard.
1: You mentioned uh, you know, that 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 this team has played a lot harder under Hubert Davis, who's in his third season as Carolina's head coach. Before the year, I wrote an article about how he stacked up to every coach since Frank McGuire arrived in Chapel Hill in the early 1950s after two seasons, and he had did some things that not even Coach Smith did and did some things that not even Coach Williams did, leading you to believe that he was going to be a successful coach at Carolina for the long haul. What have you learned about Hubert Davis so far during this season?
0: Well, it's interesting. Uh, You know, Hubert Davis, uh, I think, has a steeper learning curve than John Shire because John Shire, as I watched him closely for the last eight years, he was preparing to be a head coach. You could see that, and might not have been at Duke, but I think he was. He was watching and, and learning everything he could from Coach K, and and to his credit, he said, uh, you know, Coach K has meant a lot to him, and and he's done a lot of things that Coach K did, but he's also done some things differently. So. Uh, Hubert Davis uh, was a a recruiter and his main job in his nine years with Roy Williams was to go around the country and tell players recruits what a great experience he had at Carolina. And he said that from his heart because that's how he felt. But I don't think he was really aware of everything that uh, fell onto uh, the head coach's desk until they started started doing that, like a lot of phone calls from from uh parents and coaches and so forth so but i think he's gotten used to it and he's he's uh i think relied on his staff to help him bring in some of these veteran players and i think that they've put it together very very well so uh, it was a disappointment tuesday night uh when you get even on the road when you get a team down by double digits and you're better than they are you, you need to step on them and and uh and and pull away and they didn't do that which was uh you know when you when you allow uh, a close game on the road it's always going to be dangerous
1: you mentioned that armando baycott's play has has tailed off in recent weeks um and, and lord knows the, the carolina faithful they've 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 let him know about it um a lot of people complaining about him but yet huber davis still talks very glowingly about the way he's played you know Steve Forbes Leonard Hamilton both said that he made a difference in Carolina's wins over their respective schools when you look at the complaints that the fifth year senior uh is currently receiving, do you think they're validated or do you think Carolina fans need to back off
0: well i think it's it's too uh it's too extreme. You know, Baycott's playing a different role than he did two years ago. Uh, he, he dominated in the paint and under the basket because Brady Manick, you had to cover Brady Manick on a three point line and it opened up the paint for, for Baycott last year. It was the opposite where he was double teamed, uh, sometimes triple teamed and they pushed him away from the basket. And you know that Baycott's game from 10 or 12 feet is not great. Uh, and so what they're playing him up high a lot this year and he's setting a lot of screens ball screens uh, and slip screens uh, to help the other players get free so so the idea so the idea that he um, uh, is is not the same player it's kind of true because he's playing he's playing in a different way I think what that high post Uh, outside the three-point line, while it makes him a great screener, I think it takes away some of his aggressiveness around the basket. And I'd like to see, and I think everybody would like to see, a combination of that. He opens lanes for Cadeau and Davis and Trimble, guys like that who can drive the ball to the basket. But they'd like to see Davis get uh, uh, Baker get more involved in the scoring, and and I think they'll be working on that. It'll be very interesting to see how how Duke plays them. I think they'll be they'll notice obviously that Georgia Tech played a zone, uh, and. Carolina had a hard time getting the ball inside against the zone, even though they played other zones better than they did. So we'll see. I think we'll see changing defenses from Duke and uh, how Baycott adapts to that is going to be a big part of the
1: game. Uh, A big thing we do in the sports media medium is we do a lot of comparisons. You've seen as much Carolina basketball as anybody do you have a comparison for the player that Harrison Ingram is and has became or has become? Because I, I think he's exceeded all of our expectations, and I've never seen a guy that's built the way he's built be such an impressive and consistent rebounder the way we've seen so far in ACC play.
0: Yeah, that's a great question. That's a great question, Josh. To me, uh, he's there's nobody quite like there's nobody quite like uh, Ingram, but there was also nobody quite like George Lynch. And he's the guy that I compare him to. They're both kind of Swiss army knives. They do everything they can score, they can defend, they can rebound and they can have a very positive impact on their teammates. And I think both of those guys uh, uh, do those things and have done that for their teams, um, how they finish the season and how far they can go in the dance. Uh, will. uh Get more comparisons on the table about about Ingram and, and some of the other guys, but he's very he's a unique player. Uh, I don't think I don't think he's an NBA player, but he is, does a lot of things great, and he's he's kind of flown under the radar. But he, he's been so good lately that you can't you've got it you've got to give him the credit that he deserves.
1: We're talking with Art Chansky, longtime and legendary ACC college basketball writer covering Carolina basketball for well over the last 40 years or so. And we're here to talk about the Duke game, so let's go ahead and get to get to that. I can remember in your first book, Blue Blood, that there was a quote from Coach K that um, the Duke-Carolina rivalry wasn't about him versus Dean or him versus Roy, that Duke and Carolina would live on forever. But a lot of people didn't believe that. And in the last three years, we've seen Roy Williams retire, And we've seen Coach K retire. But when these two teams meet on Saturday, it's three versus seven. It's one and two in the ACC. It feels like old times whenever you were covering and writing about the history of this rivalry. So with that said, does the rivalry finally have energy without Roy Williams or Coach K involved?
0: Only if the team's. Only if the teams are good, and you know that's the difference. It doesn't really matter who's coaching them, as long as the teams are good and the competition is even. The only time that uh, I think it slipped uh, was during the Doherty years when Duke had a nice run, and and they were very dominant in, uh, during that uh, those years. And then early uh, in the seventies, between Bubis and when Bill Foster came, there was a lull in the in the rivalry because Duke wasn't very good. So the brands are there and if the coaches are good they'll recruit well and have good teams and then the rivalry will live on forever but uh, if if one of the teams has a long dry spell like UCLA had after Wooden and Kentucky had after hate out for up and Joe B Hall uh, then it could happen uh so Right now, it looks like it, with two young, good coaches, I think it's going to go on for a long time. But you know what's different now is how, the players and how they recruit them, how they get them, how they pay them in the NIL era. So all of that stuff figures into it, and both programs have to be able to keep pace with with the changes in the game to get the players and keep the programs on a very high level.
1: I was I was going to follow up with that and just ask you, like, what do you think the the future of the rivalry is? Because you have NIL. And then you have the transfer portal. For a lot of people, they thought the rivalry dipped when Duke went to the one-and-done model because Carolina fans didn't get to grow to hate these players because they were there for so long. In the transfer portal era, the rosters are overturning left and right, but for me as a Carolina fan, I can identify Jeremy Roach and a guy like Kyle Filipowski as maybe two dudes that, I, that, that, that I'm not a big fan of. So do you think that the the, the current landscape of college athletics – could hurt the rivalry in a negative way?
0: Well, it makes it different, for sure. Uh, you know, Duke's not – they may be getting a bunch of one-and-dones like they got another great class coming in next year, but how long do those guys stay? And they're no longer uh, – even with the Carolina guys, when, when Carolina guys leave after a year or two, they don't feel like the family that they were in the past. You? When they were there for four years or – Three years when you're talking about Jordan and Worthy and the guys who saved the three years, you, you they were there long enough where you felt like they were family. You knew about them, you watched them, uh, you know, you loved them. And now the players are here today and gone tomorrow, so it doesn't feel uh the same in that regard but the result is is if if they hard hard, uh, hard hardly contested games highly contested games uh it really doesn't matter you know who's playing as long as the, the names on the front of the uniforms are represented well on the court and the competition is is fierce
1: do you think the rivalry uh suffered in any way from from those two meeting in the NCAA tournament on the final, you know, on the biggest stage, which is the Final Four?
0: No, I don't think it's – I think it was uh, something that I thought would happen a lot sooner, but it didn't. And that one game, uh, the you know, Steve Kirshner and the people who have covered Carolina for a long time, uh, said there was m- not only more anticipation, but a different kind of anticipation leading up to that semifinal game. Uh, and it was, it turned out to be Coach K's last game. And, uh, I was at the Duke, uh, Arizona game and that was the only game that Coach K has been at at Cameron since he retired. And he was sitting right down under the basket, uh, when Love made the shots and it had to remind him of the shots that Love made against him and coaching in his last game. So, you know, the idea that uh, they played on the big stage, I think it just enhanced the brand. I've always said, Josh, that the hyphenated brand, Duke Carolina, is stronger than either individual brand. What they've done with the rivalry, uh, taken it through the national TV era, where their games every year were the highest rated regular season games, uh, is unlike they're the envy of everyone else in, co- in college basketball.
1: Oh, you're definitely right. And even on a Saturday that has three top 10 matchups, the college basketball world, it will stop at 630 when these two teams meet in the Smith Center. When you look at this game specifically, um, what which matchup do you think will turn the tide in, in either direction for either Carolina or Duke?
0: Well, it's the two guys who are who are dominating the stats, uh, for either side. It's Roach, because I love Roach, I think I think he's a uh, tremendous player and a facilitator, and he's one of those veteran guys, you know, like even when they won national championships, they, they always had a veteran guard who who made the younger guys better, and I think that's what Roach did. And I think they struggled when he was out a little bit, but he seems to be healthy now. So, how Carolina handles him, you know, he's not only a facilitator, but he can get his shot in the lane. So we'll see how that happens. But RJ is somebody who has got to shoot the ball well. Uh, he he hunts his shot, but he's also got a great assist turnover ratio as well. So he looks for his teammates. Now, Filipowski, he's going to shoot the ball from outside. And if he's making a lot of shots from outside, then Carolina has to adjust its defense uh to go out and that's going to open up some lanes for Proctor and some of those other guys. So how those four guys play is going to determine the game I think.
1: All right, Art, last last question and I'll get you I'll get you out of here. Um uh, when when Roy Williams came back it took him four times to beat Duke. Um you know, getting that win in 05 on senior day and they kind of turned the tide in Carolina's favor. For the next four years, Hubert Davis has enjoyed somewhat, you know, fast success. He's two and three against the Blue Devils, and his two biggest wins, you could argue, are the two biggest wins for Carolina in the history of the rivalry. But they are 0-2 at home. They lost in blowout fashion in his first year, and then they lost at home last year on Senior Night, that effectively knocked them out of the NCAA tournament. Is it fair to say there is pressure on Hubert Davis to pick up a home win on Saturday night?
0: I think there's always a lot pressure on whoever's coaching Carolina to beat Duke at home. You know, Roy Williams had a very interesting statistic. He played nine times against Duke in the last regular season game where first place was at stake. And Roy won all nine of those games. So that made him, that's not a really well-known statistic, but it made him kind of legendary. Uh, Mike Mike Krzyzewski had a better head-to-head record than he had, but Roy went to more Final Fours than K did during those 18 years, and uh, he won more national championships. So yes, you know we'll see what John Shire does, because uh, both programs are always looking at the other one. Uh, I, I'm telling you, that it, probably when, when that buzzer went off in Atlanta Tuesday night, there was a big party in Durham and with Duke fans all over the country because they knew that it made the game Saturday more just more at stake mm-hmm. i mean if carolina had won that game and gone into a 10 and 0 they would have had the momentum, and they could have actually knocked Duke out of the ACC race. But if Duke wins the game Saturday, they tie Carolina in the loss column, and they have the tiebreaker because they won on the Tar Heels' home court. So that was a big loss, and uh, you know Carolina needs to win this game to to uh, reclaim uh, their first place standing in the in the ACC.
1: That is Art Shansky, longtime ACC basketball writer. He's covered Carolina basketball exclusively and in depth for well over forty years. Art, I, I, I've I've I grew up reading your stuff. I still read your stuff today. I know you're still writing. Where can my audience uh, find all of your great college basketball and Carolina basketball coverage?
0: in the days of uh, in you know in the days of social media spreading it's it's uh, my column begins on chapelborough.com uh and it's five days a week um it's the audio version and the written version and the long form columns are on the weekend so it's always on chapelborough.com that's chapel like in chapel hill and borough like in carborough uh but from there they get shared and spread all over so uh, i see them on on a lot of google news feeds and so forth but if you want if they want to see them on a regular basis it's chapelborough.com on monday through friday
1: all right, Art, well, I appreciate your time. As always, had a blast uh, talking Carolina Duke with you. we got to do it later down the road, my man.
0: Thank you so much, and uh, it's it's great that you name your blog the Four Corners blog because that's always near and dear to the hearts of people who followed this game before there was a shot clock. So uh, it's good that you keep that name
1: alive. Yes, sir, I appreciate it, and I uh, can't wait to talk to you again. Okay, thanks, Josh.
0: Good luck. Bye-bye.
1: There you go, guys. That is our Chansky, and as I mentioned, um, as as a young twelve year old that got um, you know obsessed with Carolina basketball, he was my source. I've got. Numerous books written by him about the history, the tradition, how Car- uh, how Carolina basketball came to be, how Coach Smith ran his program, the history of the rivalry with Duke. He has a a great book about you know legends of the ACC and and how other people were a part of making it the premier uh, college basketball conference. And so, um, you know, if, if you're wanting to learn more about the history of the uh, of of Carolina, history of the ACC, the history of the rivalry with Duke. You know, just go to Amazon, go to any bookstore, search R. Um, and, and I, I, I guarantee you he will deliver a good read. Well, that's going to wrap up this edition of the podcast, but before we officially let you go, let's get you a word from our partner. Hey there, Josh here for the Autograph Fandom app. Want to get rewarded for listening to our show? The team at Autograph, co-founded by Tom Brady, is redefining the fan experience by letting users earn points for the acts of fandom they take every day, like listening to this show. The Autograph Fandom app gives you access to your favorite UNC content in one place and offers rewards like tickets, exclusive merchandise, and much more. You're already listening to our show, but now you can earn points and get Rewarded for it. Head over to the Apple App Store and search for Autograph Fandom Rewarded and download it today for free using the referral code HEELTOUGH. Link and code are also in our podcast description. Really hope you guys head over to Autograph. They got a great, just a great thing going over there. Um, You know, it's not mentioned in the ad there for time purposes, but you know, there was a lot of Michigan people that used the autograph uh, fandom app, and they were able to go to the Rose Bowl. They were able to go to the National Championship game, as As the Wolverines were able to win their first national title in, in well over 20 years. Um, and look, the same could happen for you Carolina fans. If this Carolina team were to make a deep run in the NCAA tournament, maybe make the Final Four, maybe make or maybe play for a national championship. The autograph app could have you in a in a position to be in Phoenix to see the Heels cut down the Nets. Well, that's going to wrap up this edition of the podcast, guys. Before we let you go, we do encourage you to visit the website heeltoughblog.com where um you know, we you will we'll be getting you ready for the Duke game. Momentarily, full preview of the matchup with Duke can be found There, um, of course, I'll be with you that evening as well with the recap of the game as I continue to take you through the basketball season. As for the podcast, guys, you know where to find us. Every major podcasting platform, simply search the Four Corners podcast where we we will pop up, and there we do encourage you guys to rate, review, and subscribe. That way you don't miss any editions of the show throughout the remainder of the basketball season. Well, with that, guys, that is going to wrap up this edition of the show. Do you want to thank Art Chansky once again for joining me? We want to thank you guys for listening. And as always, go our Heels and go to hell, Duke. Guys, it just doesn't
0: get any sweeter than that.